Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Uh, Well, my wife, Rebecca, and I, as well as Steve and Diana, we would just like to say thank you to all of you for the love and the support and the encouragement that you have poured out to our families. And we would, like Ron said, we continue to ask you uh, to pray for us, pray for our families, and pray for this church in the years ahead. We are excited uh, to get to be a part of what God is doing here. Now, that being said, uh, could I share with you something that's made Steve and I laugh here recently? Uh, We we map out our sermons a long time and ahead of time. So by last fall, we kind of had all the sermons for this year planned out, you know, title, text, topic, that whole kind of thing, before we really ever knew the timing of this transition. And so, by chance, on August 22nd, the day of the approval, uh, the title for the sermon that day is Happily Ever After. So, we'll see. (laughs) But even better than that, by God's great sense of humor, on today, the day we announce Steve's retirement, we're going to be preaching from John chapter 19, where Jesus announces from the cross, it is finished. Now, there are a lot of different jokes we could make with that for sure, but perhaps for one week and one week only, we will cut Steve a little bit of slack. Um, I just got to tell you on a personal note um, that the last four years that I have gotten to spend working alongside and uh, just doing life alongside Steve and Diana, it has been one of the greatest joys um, of my life. And outside of my wife, there is no dearer friend in the world to me than Steve. And uh, the Proctor family and the White family, we are rejoicing in how God has worked here these last 34 years, and we are looking forward to how he's going to continue to work here for many years to come. So as we dive into God's word together today, will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, you are good in all that you are and in all that you do. We thank you for speaking to us and for giving us your word. So as you speak through your word this morning, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a stronger faith a more steadfast hope, and a deeper love. In Christ we pray, amen. Now, if you have been a citizen of planet Earth for very long, then you probably know by now that no victory lasts forever. No victory lasts forever. We know this. Think about it. In sports, uh, your team may win the World Series this year, unless, of course, you're a Cubs fan. Uh, But even if they do win the World Series, you got to turn around and try to win it again next year, don't you? No victory lasts forever. This is true in history. Uh, We look back and we see the Assyrian Empire of Old Testament times, and they seemed invincible in the 8th century BC, but then they got trampled by the Babylonians in the 7th century, who were defeated by the Persians in the 6th century, who fell to the Greeks in the 5th century, who fell apart then in the 3rd century, and then the Romans came and crushed all of them for about 400 years or so, but eventually they fell apart too, just like the Goths after them, and then the Vikings, and the Mongols, and the Spanish, and the British, and so on and so forth. No victory lasts forever. This is true in business. IBM dominated the early computer market, but they were soon passed up by Microsoft, who was superseded by Apple. No victory lasts forever. And you know this in your own life too, don't you? Uh, That you may achieve a victory over the dirty dishes in the sink, or the laundry in the basket, or the crabgrass in your lawn, but don't worry, it'll be back soon. No victory lasts forever. No victory, that is, except for one. Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And as we walk through God's word today, we're going to linger together on some very hallowed ground as we walk together to the foot of the cross. 
The account that we are about to read this morning is written by John, who you might remember was Jesus' best earthly friend. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' death, and as far as we can tell, he was the only one of the 12 disciples not to abandon Jesus in his final hour. And so with reverent hearts today, we're going to walk through this text together from verses 16 through 37. But before we do that, you might remember Steve's message from last week, that after the Last Supper on Thursday night, Jesus was arrested, and then even when the Roman ruler Pontius Pilate declared Jesus innocent of any crime, the Jewish leaders still coerced Pilate into having Jesus condemned to be executed by crucifixion. So that set the scene. That's where we've been. And now we're going to start in verse 16. And I don't think we do this very often, but for today in this particularly holy text, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? John writes this. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies, so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. If you happen to be the ones that the Romans were crucifying, you would be there dangling from your arms like this, which is an incredibly uncomfortable position, as you can imagine, and it would make it nearly impossible for you to breathe. In fact, in order for you to catch a breath, you would have to push yourself up by your legs, take a breath, and then you would sink back down. And you would do this over and over and over again until eventually you reached a point of such exhaustion that you could no longer lift yourself up and you would suffocate to death. This process was exhausting and it could go on for days. And yet in this instance, uh, these people are being crucified, but the Jewish leaders need to get it over with before, before the Sabbath, and so they ask the Romans to break the legs. Because if you break the legs of the person there, they can no longer lift themselves up, and they will suffocate rather quickly. And so the soldiers break the legs of the robbers and thieves on either side of Jesus, but when they come to Jesus, they realize he's already dead. There's no need to break his legs. But of course, Rome would never let a person off the cross half dead. And so just to make sure that he really is deceased, they stab him with a spear in his side and blood and water pour out. Now, likely that stab wound pierced the sack of fluid around the heart known as the pericardium, blood and water. And this, John says, is the proof. He says, I saw it myself. Jesus was really and truly dead. And despite all the good that he had done, all the hope that he had brought, all the battles that he had won, it looked for all the world in this moment like once again there was no victory that could last forever. And yet within this big chunk of text that we just read, there's one little line, there's one clue buried in there that hints otherwise. You remember what Jesus' last words from the cross are here in the Gospel of John? He said, it is finished. Now that is not an admission of defeat. Notice Jesus did not say, I am finished. It is a proclamation of victory. Jesus says, it is finished. In fact, in the Greek, it's just one word, tetelestai. Say that word with me, tetelestai. Very good, it is finished. Now this is a word of confidence, a word that you would use, for example, if you were Neil Armstrong planting a flag on the surface of the moon, if you were a graduate walking across stage to receive your diploma, this is not just like a woof, finally it's over, glad that's done. No, this, he's saying, I have done what I came here to do, to telestai, it is finished. Which begs the question then, what is finished? <laughs> like, wh what did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe when Jesus said it is finished, maybe he means the mission is accomplished. After all, Jesus was a man on a mission, right? He was passionate, we've seen this, about doing his Father's will. Here's something, in fact, that you can trust about Jesus. If Jesus starts something, he's gonna finish it too. You might remember the night before this, on the Last Supper, Thursday night, John chapter 13, verse one, Jesus says, Jesus, or John says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, it says he loved them to the end. He never quit on them, even though they quit on him. He loved them to the end. John chapter 17, verse four, right before Jesus is arrested, he prays to the Father and he says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. When Jesus starts something, he always sees it through to the end. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted to remind the church in Philippi of in Philippians chapter one, verse six, when he said that he who began a good work in you, church, will carry it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. 
And just like Ron said earlier, Steve and I are absolutely confident that the very same God who started Plainfield Christian Church when he called a group of 17 settlers together to start worshiping under a grove of trees is the very same God who's been faithful to bless and empower that ministry for the last 192 years since 1829. This is the same God who has led and empowered Steve and Diana here for the last 34 years, and he is the same God who will continue to bless and empower the work of this body for many years to come long after you and I are gone. Because when God starts something, he always finishes it. Maybe that's what Jesus means here on the cross. Maybe he's saying, yes, it is finished. Father, I've done what you called me to do. Mission accomplished. It is finished. Perhaps. But maybe there's more. Maybe, maybe when Jesus says it is finished, maybe he means scripture is fulfilled. I I do think it's interesting that of the Four accounts of Jesus' death that we have here in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was the only one who was an eyewitness. He was the only one who was actually there, saw the whole thing with his own two eyes. And yet, John's account is perhaps the least vivid of all four. John's not really interested in giving us all the gory details that he saw. He seems a lot more concerned with reminding us that Jesus' death happened to fulfill Scripture. We just read about this, that, that all the soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes and Jesus saying that he's thirsty and Jesus' side being pierced. All that happened not by chance, but to fulfill prophecy. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about what the Messiah would do, and Jesus fulfills every single one of them. And so perhaps when Jesus says, it is finished, maybe John wants us to know that it's like Jesus is taking all 39 books of the Old Testament that were pointing to him, and he's signing on the dotted line saying, yes, everything that God said the Messiah was going to do, I have done it. And this is more than just some nice Bible facts to know. This is deeply personal. It's good for us to hear. Because can you imagine being Mary standing there at the cross? Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus, watching her son be murdered? Looking on as the soldiers play a dice game to see who's gonna get his clothes as he hangs there bleeding right in front of them. I don't know what she thought, but man, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking, I mean, how could you be so calloused? God gave me this. Where where could God possibly be in the face of this evil? Maybe you felt that before. And yet John wants to remind us right here that even in the darkness, God's sovereign hand is still at work. His plan will not be stopped. Scripture will be fulfilled. It is finished. Maybe that's what Jesus means. But what if there's even more? What if when Jesus says it is finished, what if he means that Satan is defeated? After all, John wrote more than just this gospel. He also wrote some letters to some churches. And in one of those letters later on, he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You might remember way back in the very beginning, in the garden, when the devil shows up on the scene as this snake. He tempts Adam and Eve to sin. They give in to temptation. And then Satan brings the whole world under the grip of death. But now, here we are in another garden. And we have Jesus, a new Adam, who is tempted to sin, but yet chooses to be faithful and obedient all the way. And now the grip of sin and death is loosened. And on the cross, Jesus crushes the head of that snake like a pop can. 
Colossians chapter two, verse 15 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This was like a brave heart battle cry unleashed toward the gates of hell. Jesus pronounces to the devil that his whispers of temptation, his cruel manipulation of unjust governments and oppressive economies and corrupt religion, that no longer has any power over God or God's people. And I wonder if the demons trembled when they heard the steadfast words from the crucified Christ, knowing that they had failed to stop him. It is finished. Maybe that's what Jesus means. Well, perhaps. But what if there's even still just a little bit more? Maybe when Jesus says it is finished, maybe he means the sacrifices are done. Because you might remember that Jesus is crucified during the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And during the Passover feast in Jerusalem, every family who's there would go sacrifice a lamb at the temple. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that during that one week alone, somewhere around 200,000 lambs would be sacrificed. You can imagine the priests working from morning till evening with blood-spattered knives as a very visible, tangible reminder that these people just keep on sinning. And as they do, the work of atoning for that sin is never done. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. As soon as you get done with one, you gotta move on to the other because the people just keep on sinning and no victory lasts forever. But during that particular Passover feast, Outside the city, something was happening that was gonna change all of that. You remember, we just read that when Jesus died, the soldiers didn't break his legs. What'd they do? They pierced his side. And it said that that was in fulfillment of prophecy, that none of his bones would be broken. Well, that specific prophecy, that quotation from the Old Testament, that's from Numbers chapter nine. Now, I didn't know what Numbers chapter nine said. and It's been a while since I read it, so I went back and I looked at it this week. Do you know what Numbers chapter nine is? It's the instructions for the Israelites on how to prepare the Passover lamb. John is telling us, hey, don't break his bones. John's telling us that Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he is our sacrifice, and that this is the fulfillment of what we saw all the way back at the very beginning in John chapter one, verse 29, when John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now that it is this sacrifice of this perfect lamb that is the one victory that lasts forever. Hebrews chapter 10 says, day after day after day after day after day after day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again and again and again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that's where Jesus is right now. He is seated. He is sitting down at God's right hand in heaven. And you wanna know why he's sitting down? He's sitting down because the work is done. Now you and I, <laughs> we keep on sinning, don't we? But as we go on, keep on sinning our way through life, you know what? Jesus doesn't have to keep on making sacrifices because his one sacrifice on the cross of himself was once and for all eternally effective. So you and I, we don't have to come to church and kill little animals anymore in some futile attempt to try to compensate for our guilt because Jesus is our eternally effective sacrifice both now and forever to tell us die. It is finished. 
And here's what this means for you. In ancient times, if you were to buy something and you would incur a debt, when you made payment of that debt, when it was paid off, they would give you a receipt and they'd write across the bottom of that receipt just one word, to telestai. It meant paid in full. What Jesus did on the cross, when he accomplished his mission, when he fulfilled scripture, when he defeated the devil, when he made an eternal sacrifice, that means that now, because it is finished, your sins are paid for. To tell us thy paid in full. You probably recognize the name Ernest Hemingway, world-renowned author, famous, you know. Ernest Hemingway lived a, a really tragic life. He was a, a jaded and broken man. He'd come from an incredibly dysfunctional family where he'd just been constantly reminded of his failures. And so one time, Ernest Hemingway wrote a story of a Spanish father whose son ran away. And in the story, the father wants to reconcile with his son, and so he takes out an ad in the paper, and the ad just says, Paco, meet me at the hotel, noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. Well, Paco is a common name in Spain. So when the father goes to the meeting place expecting to find his son, instead he finds 800 young men named Paco waiting for their fathers. And I think that Hemingway tapped into a fundamental human longing right there. Because we all want that, don't we? We, we? we look at who we are and we know we've run away and yet there's a longing deep down inside of us for reconciliation, for healing, for worth and acceptance to be forgiven and to be loved. Everybody's hungry for that. And yet I look out and I know that some of you are chasing that in some really self-destructive ways. And some of you are really, you just struggle to believe that God could actually know you and who you are and everything you've done and also actually love you at the same time. And some of you are so shackled by your shame and by your regret that you're gonna spend your whole life trying to dig your way out of the pit of your own guilt and yet you're never gonna get there on your own. You can't do it. You know, it rained a lot this week and so we told our kids the story of Jesus calming the storm because they thought the storms were really strong and all that. And on Friday, Judah and I were driving around. He's three years old and it was raining and I heard this voice pipe up from the back seat. And he said, peace, be still. <laughs> he kind of looked around for a few seconds. Then he said, why didn't it work? <laughs> and he learned a very valuable lesson there that we all have to learn, that there is a God and that it is not you and that he can do things that you can't do. And, and I, just, I just see that some of you are going through your life, you're just spinning your wheels, you're looking for worth and love and acceptance and forgiveness, and you're just spinning your wheels and you're wondering, why didn't it work? Because you can't do it. But it has already been done. I, uh, I heard the story of a woman in the Philippines who she started having these visions these visions of Jesus where she would actually you know, get to interact with him. And she told the local priest about this and the, well, the priest was pretty skeptical. And he said, you know, like, I've, listen, I, I've been a priest for decades and I've never seen Jesus. This can't possibly be true. And she said, it is true. It really is him. And so the priest said, okay, if it really is him, get him to tell you the secret that I've been keeping for 20 years. 20 years ago, I committed a secret sin that I've never told anybody about. And if he can tell you what that secret is, then I'll know. Then I'll know that it's real. 
Well, sure enough, a few days later, the woman calls the priest and she says, I've had another vision of Jesus. Priest's heart skips a beat. He thinks he might've miscalculated a little bit. His secret's gonna be out of the bag. What if this really is real? And the woman said, I'd like to talk to you about what I heard. I'd like to do it in person though. And now he's really scared, but you know, they meet up and, and she says to him, you know, I, I asked Jesus about that secret sin of yours that you committed from 20 years ago. I asked him what it was. She so said, he looked at me and he smiled. And he said, I don't remember. <laughs> Listen, God does not suffer from amnesia. He is all knowing, he is omniscient. And yet Hebrews chapter 10, God says this about his people. He says, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. To tell us thy, it is finished, paid in full. So don't you dare spend your time remembering what God has already forgotten. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross and when you trusted him to do just that, a stamp was put on your ledger to tell us thy paid in full. It is finished. There is a victory that lasts forever. So name your sin this morning. Dishonesty, it is finished. Envy, it is finished. Greed, it is finished. Lust, it is finished. Addiction, it is finished. Gossip, it is finished. Gluttony, it is finished. Murder, it is finished. Laziness, it is finished. Anger, it is finished. Pride, it is finished. Just tell us thy paid in full. And listen, there's gonna be times where Steve or I preach sermons telling you something you need to do you know, that you need to work on your prayer life a little bit or, you know, stop being jealous or start being more generous, stuff like that. And that's fine, that has its place. But this isn't one of those sermons. I'm not here today to tell you to do anything. I'm here to tell you that it's already been done and that when Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, the mission was accomplished and scripture was fulfilled and the devil was defeated and the sacrifice of his death as our lamb of God has paid the price for every one of your failures, paid in full to tell us die. it is finished. Let's pray. King Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Teach us to trust you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.